Hello, I'm Nuon. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2. We are your hosts. I am Clarity. Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The hosts and guests come from all backgrounds and different perspectives. We at Third Paradigm will discuss ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, hosts and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we the hosts share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make them as right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. So we would like to take this moment to thank all of our listeners, subscribers, and supporters for our successful season one. We have come a long way since our early days back in the midst of the 2020 pandemic, which is when the show was born. So from the bottom of all of our hearts here on Third Paradigm, thank you. Tonight's episode, we will focus on ADHD and ADD. So before we begin, we would like to take this opportunity to thank our guests for participating in our episode today. We have Claire and Fractal. So just for clarity, let's go over some house rules for our structure for the evening. Be courteous to each other and respect each other's boundaries. Be very open, be very honest. And tonight we're actually gonna do it at Popcorn because we have a pretty small group tonight, which is totally cool. So. We will randomly ask you after we ask the question and then it'll be open to the floor. And for tonight, hosts, we are definitely welcome to dialogue with our special guests today. Everybody ready? Let's go. All right, so we're gonna start the episode off. Nuance, would you like to read the icebreaker? Yes, I would. All right, our icebreaker for today is Capri Sun or Sunny D. Ooh. Mmm. If I have a taste for something that's like orange juice, but then I know they got like the different colors. So it's like fancy version of Dave Chappelle's great drink. If I'm feeling in that mood, it's Sunny D. But normally when I had my school lunch, it was Capri Sun. It was nice and cold in that pouch. I, I like my Capri Suns. Ooh. Yeah, Claire here. I would Pretty say, um, so I actually like, I think I like the taste of Sunny D better, but I always thought, okay, so the back in the day, the Capri Sun commercials were super, super cool. And it yeah. reminded me of that show, um, The Secret Life of Alex Mack or whatever, oh, where she like melts into like mercury <laughs> puddles, basically. <laughs> So I always like I always thought the Capri Sun commercials were super cool. So it made the drink cool to drink, even if I didn't like it like flavor-wise as much as I like Sunny D. Mmm, that sounds so good. Okay. Like that's remind me commercials, the Capri Sun commercials also kind of reminded me of the old school Jolly Rancher commercials too. Cause those were cool. They always like they were always mm. comparable to me in some way, so they kind of just made me feel like they went together. But Sunny Delight, it just—I don't know—it just like I said, it depends on the mood, man. <laughs> Nuance, what do you think? Oh, I'm a Capri Sun guy for sure. Uh, strawberry Kiwi was always yes. my favorite. 
point Ooh, flavor. That's a good one. And I think it was because of Capri Sun. I think Capri Sun is the, the first kiwi strawberry drink that I remember tasting and thought it was the best. What about you, Clary? Oh my God. For me, um, Capri Sun probably has the most nostalgia for me. Sunny D, I will agree with Clara that it does taste a lot better. But I'm also a Tang kid. I grew up oh, yeah. with Tang. Oh, those are orangutans on all those episodes. And oh, we would no. bring in, in elementary school, we would bring in that powder stuff. Like, they actually encouraged it, which was really weird. But I remember they encouraged us bringing in that powder stuff and being like, we'll make your drink here. And I would take these giant scoops of Tang and just, like, make this big old, it's like... so insane. Whoever <laughs> decided that a child should be in charge of mixing their own drinks like Kool-Aid and Tang <laughs> with the amount of assurance in them. Like who decided that it was cool to just like let kids figure that out for themselves. No, they want to be future bartenders. Yeah, I don't know. That's why millennials love mixology. We had that's early true. training. I mean, that is true. We did have early training and we were those kids. I remember getting the tang, getting the Kool-Aid. I would mix it up and be like, this is my new concoction. And it's like, or, or, or just get a bunch of pop or, you know, whatnot and mixing it together. Uh, it's like going to the ice, the fountain and you go under each one. Or like when you go to 7-Eleven, yes. you get that like yes. the, the like slushy machines. You gotta get a little bit of every single oh, one. You gotta get the coke, and you gotta get the cherry, and you gotta get like the blueberry mix all together at the movie theater. Oh, that's oh, yeah. legit. All right, well, let's get started with our <laughs> questions. So before we begin, we actually have some definitions that we can read out so that way we all know. What exactly is neurodiversity? And in this particular episode, we're focusing mostly on ADD and ADHD. So we have, according to the DSM-5 ADHD, ADD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, Attention Deficit Disorder, is a neurodevelopmental disorder. Symptoms fall into two primary categories, inattention and hyperactivity slash impulsivity. Although a person can be diagnosed with a combination which has attributes from both categories. Hyperactivity symptoms manifest as active energy, rapid speech, fidgeting, etc. Inactive symptoms manifest as short attention span, lack of response to verbal or gesture cues, etc. So with that definition out of the way, and we now have a general basis for today's episode, um, and just for the listeners, we are interested in doing a series of neurodiversity. So we'll have an episode dedicated to people who are on the spectrum with autism as well as dyslexia, we are open for new different ideas. So with that being said, Nuance, would you like to hit question number one? Hey, question number one is, what does it mean to you to be neurodivergent? Fractal. Hmm. Um, Oh, me? Oh, I, I guess I'll go. I was gonna if say. you won't mind going first. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, I guess being neurodivergent is just, to me, I guess I'm still finding out what that means on my personal journey. Because it's like, it's accepting that your brain is just wired differently. It's not that you are, it's a journey of self-acceptance, which is very difficult, that you're not inadequate that you're not unintelligent 
It's just that you're, you see things very differently and you experience things very differently. So you have to, your normal is different from someone else's normal, I think, um, which is fine. I mean, what is normal anyway? So it's just, I feel like it's just neurodivergent is part of a diverse way that everyone's brains are wired and it's just kind of alternative in a sense maybe even kind of culture to a degree i really like that answer okay that's a solid answer um yeah hop in there an answer too yeah go for it um i think so i had a really interesting um, upbringing because I was diagnosed really young. I was diagnosed when I was seven. And I remember a family friend of ours was a teacher and she'd had some experience with learning disabilities. And the way that she actually explained um, ADHD to me when I was that young was not that I was developmentally disabled. It was a, she kind of, she made me feel like I had a superpower. Um, because she, the way that she looked at it was, it's just an evolution of the brain and that it means that you're, you have the ability to pay attention to multiple things at the same time. You can split your attention across uh, multiple different things. Granted, that takes a lot of, um, multitasking abilities of being able to like actually follow through with things but if you hone like your skills with it i guess if that makes sense um it's you can really um accomplish a lot with a brain like ours i don't know i i guess i, I being different from that young does give you a little bit of a um not a complex but it definitely makes you feel weird like you're definitely the odd man out um and it's not something at least at the time that was given a lot of attention so it was just like here's your diagnosis off you go <laughs> um so it was just like a thankful thing that that lady was around to try and tell me that when i was you know like eight and made me feel like i had a superpower yeah i i for me the superpower thing is like i can hyper focus at times it's hard to control to a certain degree but when i do get super focused on something like i'm all in and i could spend all day like doing something and then not eating and i'm very productive <laughs> and i have to make myself eat so or i how i can i can archive a lot of information weirdly and kind of in have a large endurance for information to a certain degree. So I can see that as a superpower in a way that a lot of people are like, you know, have to take breaks on that. And it's not that I don't, it's just that I'm able to absorb. So in a way it's kind of a superpower. I'm kind of still learning what it is, but I, I can definitely agree to that. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. that that's very good to hear from perspectives of exactly what exactly neurodivergent means. So moving to question two, how did you seek out your diagnosis? Um, I'll jump in with that one. I, I mean, I kind of 
just answered that like a little bit. Um, I was diagnosed when I was about seven. I was in like second grade. I'd already had, I hadn't had um, difficulties in school just yet. Like first, like kindergarten, preschool, first grade, that was all fine. Um, but right around second grade, they started noticing that I had um, trouble. I would not do homework. I was terrible at it, like just didn't want to do it. And it was just one of those things. And I think it comes into like, um, there's a term called like, not executive dysfunction, but it's like one of the terms that's kind of thrown around where it's the, if your brain isn't engaged in it, you just don't, it's, you, you, it, there's no forcing your brain to do it. <laughs> so it's like, it doesn't matter how many sticky notes you put up. If you don't want to do it, like your brain's not going to let you. Uh, there's no dopamine hit behind it. So like I, my parents sought out a diagnosis um, based on the suggestion of teachers um, just from my schoolwork in general. Um, cause it was like the constant, I got a lot of the, you have so much potential, but you have to prove it to us by doing the actual schoolwork. So I think my mom tried to like, she tried to put off medicating me for a while. Um, the diagnosis came and I remember doing like the Rorschach tests and like a bunch of weird stuff and like trying to put puzzles together in front of a doctor <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, looking back, it was like kind of weird because I don't really remember them talking directly to me. It was always like to my parents who were the ones seeking out the diagnosis. So it was like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't really seek it out for myself. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. That's that means a lot when people open up about this stuff really it makes me more aware uh, I completely um, agree for me I didn't find out till I was in college I had been fighting anxiety and depression most of my life through childhood trauma and whatnot of abuse and um, in high school I finally started getting medicine for it and when I got to college finally being in a different environment it was like I was just burned out and um, really didn't know how to really handle things and then things back at home were not getting better um, even though I was gone and so I had to find places to live with friends and whatnot and um, when I was out of uh, the school campus and it was a struggle just getting to class and whatnot I didn't know what was going on until I had a therapist because I had to get advocacy from mentors and whatnot. And my therapist, you know, listened to me and whatnot and decided to give me a test for ADD and ADHD. That's how I found out I had, I had it, basically. Um, and it was very daunting to hear about the sy symptoms and your behaviors and why you struggle socially and um, even just to function it was actually very depressing and so it's been a long battle just to get to where i am that's how i found out about it as an adult and i look back and i'm like why didn't i know this when i was a kid and i think just being i don't know i think being where i'm from in the inner city black and whatnot it just i think the resources weren't there and i think people didn't have the knowledge and the education to really kind of point it out 
and um yeah it was it, it made me feel less than finding out that i had it because it made me feel like wow as much as i fight to not do these things it's like it happens and so it made me feel trapped that it's like no matter how hard i try I end up falling into these um these habits but it explained a lot about what was going on and so um I tried a medicine first and it made my stomach sick all the time so I got off of that but I was grateful that every therapist I ever had um didn't push medicine first they always got my consent and suggested other things to do and even after the first medicine didn't work didn't give up working on me with it and then later on finally in my adult life after um getting laid off from a job because they were having massive layoffs and I was also being a caretaker for my wife and my dad I finally got medicated properly and just finding the right dosage was just a long long journey so um so yeah like that's that's been my journey it's been long painful but I'm glad that I have um acceptance and um now especially with my dad understanding more in his older age my wife being as open and accepting as she has been so thank you both for sharing it's it's a very vulnerable point to end up getting diagnosis with something especially and we'll actually discuss more in detail in this episode about it how certain diagnoses out there have such a stigma attached to them so then when it's something that you can't control and it's now you're now part of this community that has a stigma it it, it can bring up all kinds of emotional baggage that comes along with it that people who may not have that diagnosis may never understand so thank you both for sharing that so with that moving to the next question um nuance would you like to take that one sure um what are some of the stigmas and or stereotypes surrounding people with adhd an ADD. Um, um, I was, I I was going to say uh, a popcorn sort of style. So if, if you'd like to say something, just chime in. Oh, yeah. Um, I can start off on that. Um, one is that you're just lazy. Um, you're not capable of really like applying yourself to something unless you're interested in it and it's like you can't be like a grown-up in a sense like you can't do things that are hard um that you're just like there's just something wrong with you all the time like you can be easily like distracted by any and everything and it just it just seems like you're deficient um and just broken like that's what it like that's how people look at it and kind of people will write you off in a sense especially depending on what culture you come from whether they accept mental health issues or not it's like or it will even talk about them you kind of get written off as like you know like like you're like you may not you might be a lost cause so those are like the stigmas that kind of come with it yeah i think i mean you're totally right like fresh off the bat like you know the constantly getting called lazy or uh procrastination was a word i could not escape when i was a kid and younger like especially in school like being told that i didn't like 
it's so it's so maddening to be constantly told how smart you are like oh you're so gifted you're so smart like like i you know you just have to prove it to us you just have to buckle down and just do the work like everyone else like i don't understand why you can't do the work like everyone else and it's like it was like once i got my diagnosis they um i was put on ritalin and adderall at different points in my schooling career um i stopped taking it around middle school um kind of of my own choice i um my like parents finally were just like i made them give it up but yeah like a lot of the stereotypes um procrastination was a huge one um like i said and then even like and it sounds silly but like dumb blonde jokes because i was a blonde like a like like bright blue-eyed blonde-haired kid like so not doing well in school and stuff like i would get the dumb blonde jokes or like or the ditzy stuff because of my inattention like because of how a girl is perceived when she has these symptoms it's not that you're you, you can't be like a smart or like type A personality if you have these things. Like you're you're gossiping instead like and trying to talk to like the people around you instead of it being like I'm just like this is me being easily distracted and like I want the dopamine hit of chatting to my neighbor about the topic. Like cause that will engage me in this topic more or like whatever it is, you know? It's just, I don't know. There's so many weird things that like you pick up over time where it was like, you, I like me and probably at the time I didn't realize the like, I don't know. There's so many that are like, oh, every time someone gets distracted by something, they say that they have, oh, I must have ADHD. And it happens too with organizational stuff. I mean, and this is maybe a little bit off topic, but like you get people that like, when it comes to organization, oh, they have to wipe down their counters or something. And they'll say something offhand, like there's my OCD acting up. And it's like, they don't actually have the disorder, but they're saying it offhand. And yeah. so a lot with like ADHD and ADD, it's like, you know, oh, look, a squirrel, like the, the like classic trope of like being distracted by the sim the simplest thing and it's like i don't know it's just it's like a weird dumbing down of like this thing where it's like it's a neurological difference in my brain that tells me that i can't do this thing or that i have to focus on something else or that like i like it's an impulse control of like picking up your phone instead of continuing to work on that thing or going and sitting and watching tv instead of continuing to read that thing that book that you're supposed to you know it's just yeah, like it's, it's trivial <laughs> yeah i agree it's like it's very trivializing it trivializes that type of language trivializes the experience that we go through and it's not like we chose we choose to go through this don't really want it I'll, i've always tried to be like everybody else you know i've always tried to force myself that way and it's so difficult to work in that way my brain just doesn't function like that so i have to find right. other ways to compensate and try to keep my attention or keep my keep the stimulation going so that way i can complete set task and so so when people like say oh that's my add it's like what and so 
and then also when people abuse medicine you know it makes it much harder for people who actually need it so really? this is like one. from both ends of the candle of like it gets trivialized in one way and it gets demonized in the other way so yeah. yeah especially when you come out with it at college age like i've heard so many horror stories like obviously like i got my diagnosis super young but like the other people that i know that got diagnosed when they were in college there was such a huge stigma and stereotype around people that were seeking out diagnosis at college age because they just didn't realize like how bad their symptoms were and that environment exacerbates them so it tends to be a time when a lot of people who normally got through life like masking their symptoms in certain ways or just got by fine are now seeking out a diagnosis and they're getting like blacklisted by doctors left and right and like refuse to be seen or refuse to give medication to because of the stigma of them like wanting medication to just do better in school or like use it as speed or whatever it is yeah and then socially it's like you're just seen as less than and there's a fear of that and people just look down on, on you think you're not as capable think you are weird in some way and so, in a way that's that's not um pleasant in a way that's like dangerous or something so yeah those are the stigmas <laughs> <laughs> quite a few unfortunately that's a lot of stigmas and thank you for both of you really taking the time that's out to true. answer that one that, I, again I appreciate you both opening up about this this isn't easy to exactly talk about yeah. absolutely this is definitely not easy to talk about so thank you um, Clarity would you like to take the next question absolutely so taking in consideration like what we were just talking about we're going to expand a little bit on the internal feeling like when you got the diagnoses and then the stereotypes so with question with the next question we have is what were your preconceived notions about adhd and add did this affect your self-acceptance um i'll start i guess um so uh, i didn't have i didn't have time to have preconceived notions about ADHD and ADD, but the I got I did end up with preconceived notions because of getting diagnosed and medicated so young. There was a weird perception of like I, I guess this is just how you you're supposed to deal with it, and it definitely was not how you should treat a kid with ADHD you know, like just medicating them and sending them on their way. And it was just like, a, so I ended up having, um, like, I and the, the one thing that I don't really talk about too much is that like, I stopped taking the medication myself. I started hiding the fact that I wasn't taking my medication in school, like, because I got the, um, like when I was on certain types of medication, I can't remember which one it was, whether it was Adderall or Ritalin, but one of them like affected me, like where I would take it and I was just a zombie. Like I like dead face. Like I had like my mom described it as the lights on, but no, it's home. And I would get my friends at school. I was always very active and outgoing and kind of bubbly and like the funny, like, 
class clown amongst my friends. And if I was taking my medication, they would literally be like, what's wrong with you? Are, are you okay? Like what happened or something? Like they would think that there was something seriously wrong because I was just like deadpan. And so I actually stopped taking my medication. I was hiding it from my parents and my teachers. Um, and it like, there wasn't really a difference in like my grades or anything by being on the medication or not on the medication, but the social aspect of like the effect the medication had on me was the thing that changed. And I was able to develop deeper friendships with people because I was able to be my outgoing bubbly self instead of like, just like deadpan in the corner. Like, and the other thing that medication did that like I was like super skinny and frail, like, like for a kid, that's not normal. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. There's just a, a number of things where it was like, I like, um, they, a lot of people compare some of the ADHD medications to close to methamphetamines and they're not quite, there's obviously like a chemical difference, but you get um, some of the symptoms that you can get, like when it, like the um, adverse effects of medication can be almost similar in like, um, I would get uh, like a, like not a tick, but I would like scratch a lot and like pick at scabs or like I would or like you know when you're a kid you're you're bumping into stuff all the time so there's always a scab or a bruise or you know blisters from the monkey bars and stuff like that and so like I think that was um stuff that like that was stuff that I kind of had to undo over time in terms of my like self-acceptance was all these like weird things that I had picked up like all these like not like I said like they're not really ticks but um stuff that like made me the weirdo and like made me feel like the the like super weird kid in class that I had to like kind of unpack and undo after after like so like probably into like high school that was like when I was able to kind of separate myself from my diagnosis I think and really kind of come into myself yeah absolutely um for me mm -hmm. I did have preconceived notions due to my upbringing and it did make it very hard and I'm still kind of battling it, it these feelings of a person that has this and like needs help it comes off as like you're this undesirable unlovable person um by ha having such a condition and needing said help um if you come from a faith background and you've been around prosperity movement you know churches or religions for that matter and it's like because you may need medical assistance it's like you're not a, you're a person that doesn't have enough faith in god or in healing and things of that nature and that you're just weak and not strong enough to be like everyone else and so it made me always feel like it was my fault that you know i'm struggling and even though i'm fighting very hard to learn from mistakes not make the same mistakes it's like you know and there are times i'm able to rise above but it's so draining to try to make myself function in a way that is not um, fit for me. And so that makes me feel even more or less than so 
is a thing that the, that preconceived notion really affected me. And then while I find out that there are people who are millionaires, billionaires, who, you know, and very successful people in business that, you know, said, hey, ADHD is my superpower. Um, I couldn't really relate to them because I don't really know them. I don't know anyone personally that, you know, deals with it and has become very successful in a way that I guess is traditional success. Um, they mean they don't look like me or come from where I come from. So it, 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 I felt alienated and alone in, in a sense. And so I just felt like just in a whole sea of people just like isolated. It was very isolating. And so those preconceived notions just made me feel like one in a billion, even though supposedly there's more people out there, I don't know. And so like just dealing with the, those preconceived notions are something that I, I, they were taught to me and given to me. And, you know, when you see people who the only help they do get is being medicated and they're, they're um, it's kind of a malpractice then it's that fear of like, oh, if I take something, it can alter my brain and mess me up. And so, and that happens to a lot of people, especially in the black community. So it's it's scary in a sense, because you just feel like you're darn if you do, you darn if you don't. And yet you gotta, you know, yeah. find a way to survive out here. And then Mental you live in a world that has, they don't care about, you know, they don't care about your life then how much more can you really expect them to care about your feelings <laughs> so it's 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 daunting in that sense absolutely thank you claire and fractal for sharing that um it is a, as we experience this is a very vulnerable discussion so again thank you for being open and honest so nuance would you like to hit the next one sure um has it been easy or hard to receive resources for coping with ADHD or ADD? I, I can go. It's It's been hard because like you can get your typical stuff online and then trying to d diagnose yourself or trying to figure things out online. It's great that those communities are out there, but like for me, I don't know how to reach support groups and then it's like, do you know which stuff works, which stuff doesn't? Um, but I think online does help because it puts more information out there, but it's still difficult because it's a personal experience thing. I mean, I, I recently found out that there are seven types of ADD. I mean, first, they stopped calling it ADD, ADHD. They just call it ADD now, supposedly in the medical community. So that's changed. And then there's seven types all together. Um, and I can kind of send a link for that. But the one I have is like anxious ADD and that's the one that's very draining because I'm like you know I don't have so much like I can get hyperactive um I can get impulsive but and I can have attention span issues but then I can also have it to where I hyper focus a lot and so it's just kind of figuring out where you fit in is difficult um and then just finding the right medication for you at the right dosage is a task in itself so you have to find trustworthy doctors and so um and that takes relationship building and whatnot so with 
therapist and then to a psychiatric person, psychiatrist. So it's not the easiest thing, but it's, I'm glad to know that as long as you keep looking, you will find resources out there, even d depending on your economic level, because there are um, organizations that really want to help everyday people and not just those who are super fortunate. Um, so I'm, I'm just glad that we're living in a time now where there is, uh, especially now versus when I was growing up, like it did not exist like oh mental health help were really like the way that it does like people were doing the work back then laying the seeds then but it wasn't as prominent mainstream and, and accepted as no we really got to focus on this oh across the board but especially like in communities of color because it's just the stigmatism as a person of color when your ancestors went through slavery and you know jim crow it's like it gets sadly it's cynically a diagnosis like oh that's a white person's thing and it's like no yeah. like person's thing mm -hmm. you know it's a people mental thing health. and mental health and yeah. then come to find out with white people when you have white people in your life like their own families members will treat them depending on especially their class level like <laughs> they'll treat them like the black sheep like oh there's something wrong with you we don't even want you here so it's all the same to a certain degree it's just it's just you know different layers so it's I'm, I'm glad it's getting easier but growing up it was not it was not easy and a lot of people didn't get it at, get the help young as they should have but now the flip side is you'll get mis misdiagnosed as a young person depending on what your background is too so it's just hard getting good help kind of like at a car repair shop there's always somebody trying to you know trying to uh wheeling and dealing you yeah get, get pull one over and you just telling you telling you something else exactly because think about it you got all these folks that get this medicine for pharmaceutical companies and they get paid to give it so then you got doctors that got you know student loans and whatnot so, and you got bills so who can you trust to do right you can trust people to do wrong more than you can trust people to do right so yeah yeah yeah, I think uh, definitely the uh, medication thing is a hard one, too, because of the socioeconomic backgrounds of a lot of people, like the access to mental health care is, in general is just awful. So let alone if you have something that's a lifelong disorder that like, you know, normally it would be it would be covered because it's something you're born with. It's something you have no control over, you know, at least when it comes to easier, hard to receive resources for coping in some ways it's easy and in some ways it's hard you know it's it is not one or or both it's it's just like uh i don't know it's so weird because at one point i remember it being like i remember hitting high school and kids were able to get their hands on the medication so easy now, granted, I was raised in like the inner city and then went to the suburbs for high school. So these are kids that ha ca like come from privilege. All of a sudden, it's like they're handing it out like candy to kids and diagnoses are like left, right and center. But when I was younger, I grew up in the inner city. Um, we, ha we had to go pretty far outside of the city to find a doctor that did the diagnosis. Um, and I, I mean, to be honest, it's just like, a 
it was a white male disorder for so long. Yeah. Like, mm. and it was pretty much exclusively like that they didn't diagnose girls with it. Yeah. And especially because girls typically um, are they typically uh, present in um, inattentive ways, which are, to be honest, not hard to see. Like, they're easy to miss because they're not as visually like, you know, it's not a kid jumping up and down in a seat or fidgeting constantly, you know, where you have the visual cue like, yep, they're there's the hyper kid in the corner like bouncing off the walls you know inattention is totally different so it's it it's easy to misdiagnose it uh, or just to completely ignore it as if it doesn't need to be diagnosed so yeah it's just a it's a crapshoot yeah it, easy or hard is kind of a um maybe an oversimplification i guess um yeah. and maybe that's just because it's hard you know it's it's not yeah. like you know it it's hard because it's a minefield of like either they're throwing them out at kids like candy or they're holding them hostage with it you know it's so silly but there's also like a people that don't want to be medicated that's one where it's like i find that that's a resource that's hard to find for coping um yeah. i haven't been able to find a lot of people that want to not be medicated. Um, I had like, I had rough experiences with medication. So that's one thing that I'm like, I'm only just now reconsidering at, I don't know, like 30. And I, what, I stopped taking it when I was like probably 12 or 13. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it just feels weird now. Absolutely. So with kind of pulling from that previous question we were talking about with the resources and whether it's easy or hard is um, with the next question that we have, what kind of factors do you feel believe, what do you believe make it easy or hard for people to access those resources and why? And uh, this yeah. is open. I, 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 go ahead. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say like how you said it was like a white male's disease. And even then they misdiagnosed like white males because people just wanted to have their kids under control when the person could just be a kid. And it's like, no, 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 let's just put them on something and we want them to be a certain way. And then when it, when you are like a person of color, if you're black and you're male, let alone black and female, you're just seen as a bad kid. Like you're just, that's it. You're just seen as a bad kid and a problem. And so like that that's what makes it hard are the other social factors the economic factors i think the institutional factors of it they're not being researched i can imagine they're probably for, for the longest time i don't even know if they're still if there even is maybe it's starting now like uh claire was saying for women like it's kind of hard to see adhd for women and i've been hearing about it more being in college so i know the work's being done now but the fact that it was hasn't been done is just amazing like wow how many women have been dealing with this and yet they were just stereotyped oh this is just how women are and it's like um no like they, they could have something going on like i remember you were saying like you're seen as this blonde ditzy you know blue-eyed girl and it's just like well dang they must have treated you just as an airhead all the time and so then, much, yeah. this, this, so this makes me rethink like all the movies and TV shows where it's like, oh, they're just the airhead. And I'm just like, 
well, were they really airhead or were they did have something or they just right. neurodivergent, you know? You get like, you get called like space cadet or like something like that because you can't like keep your focus, you know? And that gets the like, that same stigma. But in terms of resources, um, I was going to say like, it's, it's also a matter of like, we were talking about socioeconomic background, but like we can only just, we're only just now figuring these things out. Like you brought up like women and men's, like the different types, but it's like, so what about all of the non-binary kids? What about all the trans kids? Like how do they seek out help for these things when it's already so polarizing of a disorder? So where, what are the resources like for them? Um, what are the res like, especially if you're a person of color, you know, um, a lot of the research that's being done is only like, is women like, you know, it's some, some, there's some studies with women, but not very many. And the control group isn't other women who don't have it. It's men. So it's like, okay. And mo so like majority of the studies are just white men. <laughs> so it's like, right. Well, it's hard for you to have resources if you don't accept that certain subcategories of people have that. And they have different experiences because women and men are like genetically 25% difference. Like there's 5% difference between me and a white guy genetically, but there's a 25% difference between a black man and a black woman or a white man and a white woman. And then if you take into the historical factors, like a lot of black people don't like going to the doctor because they experienced, we have parents yeah. and grandparents that experienced Tuskegee Institute where they gave us syphilis. So that's another thing that makes it hard. So even when totally. the little bit of resources that are there and maybe you even happen to have a doctor that is trustworthy, black or white, or just someone who serves the community, there's already that barrier of like, mm, I don't know about that because every time we try to do something to take care of ourselves, we get put. I definitely so, throw it out there that I think you touched on it earlier too. But it seems that when it comes to ADD and ADHD and diagnoses and treatments, it's very intersectional. It goes into the same thing with our past episodes when we talk about race, when we talk about class, when we talk about resources. There, like you were mentioning earlier, Claire, how when you come from this one community, like you mentioned earlier, you had to drive way out of the city to get to have these diagnoses, to have the resources. Yeah it shows how these are so intertwined with each other it this 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 country wasn't built on an equality in mind it was built very much 100%. on very specific strategic mechanisms and that's what we're here to address so i want yeah. to add that too where it's like if you're a poor white kid you know even if you're male especially if you're female they get treated as the bad kid too mm -hmm. like straight up and 100%. So, that was me <laughs> Like, I was a bad kid. Like, <laughs> you just treat it as the bad kid, no matter how smart you like, period. And I've seen that too. Like, I've seen a couple of white kids in, school, in schools growing up in inner city. So it's like, and shoot, I've had to recently, you know, go out into the suburbs for my wife just to get good care that's, you know, trustworthy. So it still exists. Right. You know, like you can't go, go to someone in your own neighborhood because the infrastructure is not there to support them. Like, right. like a doctor isn't going to set up a practice in an area where everyone's on like Medicare or Medicaid. It doesn't happen. 
You know what I mean? Like if that's if that's your health insurance is, you know, so w- what doctors like, yeah, that's a profitable practice. I'm going to set up in in the inner city. Like it just doesn't happen. Yeah, the incentives aren't there for actual care. It's just for making money. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody has to live and eat. So exactly. Well, before we move on to the last two questions, nuance to you, I saw. Did you have something you'd like to weigh in on? Um, no, I think, uh, I think everything's covered. Awesome. Um, may I take this next question? Yeah, go for it. What changes do you want to see going forward from the ADHD, ADD community? Hmm. I, uh, one, I want to know where to find good communities in the first place, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, just places to commune and just like get tips and whatnot. I'm still kind of figuring that out. I think what I changes I want to see for the community, though, is just care being provided, not just access to care, because just because you have access doesn't mean you can afford it and you can get it. And I don't want it to be something that's like, something that's super expensive. I I want it to be democratized. I want it to be stratified. I I want it to be available for everybody. I want, I want, um, different ways of functioning. And I think maybe the time we're living in where people are finding different ways to work and ways to make a living and fighting for those ways of living to be, you know, to get paid properly for that. So that way we, you can have an environment that's suitable for you to do and give your best. I think that's what I want the most. I don't, I, I want more, I want there to be more uh, avenues for people who are neurodivergent in any form or fashion. Even those, even those who are not neurodivergent, just ways for them to function and live and be their best in society. That's that's what I want. I was I learned something recently um, from someone I watch. Um, he's called the Funky Academic. He's like freedom is having other people work for you because you need someone to do the work for one thing, so that way you're able to do another thing. And injustice is working working so everybody works so no one's just taking. It's a give or take. Someone has to go and make the computer so that way I can go and you know. Um, write a paper or something someone had to make the phone and the microphone so we could do this episode it's like a it's like a it's called an active um what's it called active buddhism where it's just like the bowl is empty but it's empty not because of the fact that it's empty it's empty because of the fact that um it was itself a self-causation everybody had a hand in making the bowl period so i want that i want that type of environment change for the ADHD, ADD community, which is something that everyone needs. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, piggybacking on what you're talking about, it's you want it to be like a symbiotic relationship where the, the there's like, you can give to your community and find support. Like that's truly it. I mean, that's balanced society that everyone wants. Um, I think how we get there is obviously research and like um taking things into account 
Like when you're looking at the symptoms of someone with ADD or ADHD, you want to look at what are their socioeconomic like implications? What like where are they coming from on their daily basis? Are they getting their basic needs met? Are they having food? Is that why they're inattentive in class? Because they didn't have breakfast that morning? You know, are we misdiagnosing kids because their basic needs are being met? Or is it like, or is it truly a factor of their brain functioning differently than the kids sitting next to them in class? Like, do they have an atypical brain or a divergent brain? Um, so yeah, I think, and it comes, it's it's not just research with socio socioeconomics, it's, it's uh, it, like cultural and race factors, it's gender factors, like there's so many, like, like we were talking about, especially with the disparity between like research for women versus men in the community. Um, it is one of the most researched um, neurodeveloped, like, um, uh, or neurological disorders in recent times. But like we said, there's, there's just not enough diversity in the research and how it's being conducted and like what the control groups are for these things and what they're taking into account um, in terms of like, you know, classic, some of the classic symptoms are, you know, could be attributed to stress or depression or anxiety. So how do we differentiate like you know normal stresses of life versus what the actual what what's coming from the disorder um but yeah and like for the community itself like it's a strong community like i have found in the last especially over the pandemic um one of the uh groups that i like a lot that's you know definitely very supportive and does a lot of meme sharing is uh, the Facebook group ADHD and chill. Um, and they don't discriminate whether you're diagnosed or undiagnosed. And um, they do want you to talk more respectively, obviously, when it comes to sensitive topics like medicating. Um, but they're still very supportive. And it's like really inclusive community to like ask questions. So it's like, if you can, if you have a question where you're like, does this make sense to anybody else? Does, is this an ADHD thing? Like, do you guys see this? Um, which funnily enough, I heard is a symptom uh, or, uh, you know, an attribute of people with ADHD is finding correlations with things. So, you know, finding, um, finding common ground with other people is like a huge thing within the community like finding out traits that we all share um and then um like another podcast to plug that i you know i've only i haven't listened to the whole podcast but i know that there was a couple um done really well on like talking about like the disparity between women um in adhd community and like the types of research that's being done and that's the adhd experts podcast um which is i think you can find it pretty much anywhere where you listen can you list those it's called adhd and chill is it like is it on instagram twitter uh oh that's cool, facebook that's oh, facebook that's uh, okay. like a big facebook group i need to look that up if you can yeah. uh provide those links that would be great we'll put it in the description box sure sure 
So yeah, I know that meme sharing is a huge thing, and that's one of the the fun things that I like about the ADHD community is that we're so very conscious of our own uh, our own faults too, because that's a huge thing. Like obviously. We, yes, our brains are different, like function differently than everybody else, but it's still, you still have to function in society with other people, right? So it's like, you still have to try and uh, balance out like the the idea of like how you interact with the world um, and like try to like kind of, you know, keep in mind you're interacting with people that have atypical brains. So like having a community to go to and be like hey how do you talk to people about this factor or this factor how do you deal with you know how do you deal with having to do the dishes like it's a super simple task but my brain doesn't want to do it so how do you do it absolutely so with the very last question that we have and again we want to take this opportunity to say thank you so much for both of you for being on our show and thank you for all of our listeners who are listening in on this conversation um, this is exactly what we need when it comes to hearing directly from the sources and those who have these experiences, these lived experiences and their perspectives. So the last question that we have for the evening is what was it like sharing your thoughts and feelings and name one thing that someone else said today that touched you. And it is popcorn, so it is open. Um, I can go. Um, it's kind of freeing in a sense to just kind of admit like the feeling of shame in a way it's kind of therapeutic because shame is like i've learned guilt is like the things that you do shame is the things that happen are the things that happen to you and i think in our society we confuse shame and guilt a lot um especially mm-hmm. when it comes to like oppression and whatnot Very good point. Yeah. um and then i think like as something i learned in therapy um some odd years ago and it, it just keeps coming up in my mind more that yeah guilt is when you you feel bad for what you've done but shame is when you feel bad for what's happened to you i think the reason why they get confused though is because we feel guilty for the idea of we allowed this to happen to us you know we feel guilty and we feel shame for the fact that something was done maybe in our name or on our behalf by people um near us or came before us and i think that um I think just overall what um, you all have done, just, you know, respecting us and the host and the vulnerability. And I just, I think what Claire said about how um, the community that she knows about, how they want to just like talk about how do you interact with people in the world who do have typical brains. It's like a humanizing aspect of having ADHD and then just still like, it touched me that there are people who are willing to be in, have integrity and say, even though we deal with this, we still have flaws. We're still human beings. And so it's like that even playing field, like they want the quality and equity of of um, of mindset about who we are as people. It's not like we're being pious or self piety in a sense. So that, that touched me to know that there's a community out there that, you know, accepts what I believe is like, yeah, we're a victim of something and we're not going to victim shame, but we also know that like in order, the only way you can be a survivor is accepting what you've been a victim of. And to me, like that means so much. And I think our society needs that more. 
I see like victim shaming. The reason why it's done is to make sure people don't get justice. But it's like you can't be a survivor if you never were a victim of something. You can't be healed if you were never sick of anything, you know. And so, I just think that that the fact that that there's a community like that on Facebook, no less that exists like that, is just awesome, and that touched me a lot. Yeah. It's definitely very freeing to like talk about it more openly. Like I tend to be fairly open in anyways because I think a fa- facet of my ADHD might be my talkative nature. Um, <laughs> so I tend to be quite <laughs> open about a lot of things, but there's still like a lot of stuff that you hold close to your chest because you just don't know exactly how people are going to take it. So. It's maybe not something that someone said that touched me, but like the acceptance and the like, the ability, like you, you guys just listening and being receptive to it and appreciative of a perspective like mine. It's just, I don't know, it's really validating, to be honest. <laughs> it feels good to know that like other people are like willing to hear your perspective or like to hear about this thing that you struggle with. It's, it's, I mean, it it truly is its own form of therapy to like be able to talk about it and have someone say, I appreciate your vulnerability and being able to talk about it. It's like, I don't know. It's, it gives you, it gives power to like what, what it is that we're really talking about, you know? Yeah. Can I add that? It solidifies it. Can I add that? When you said that people like find correlations, you just kind of taught me a correlation like, having ADD or ADHD kind of goes into being talkative. And that's something that I've always been commented on. And I think people I was around in church or much older, they didn't understand, you know, there's a lack of understanding in the black community on those things. And I was always told I had the gift of gap. I'm like, why? And I'm like, well, that just goes to show, like I was born with this neurotypical brain and I just am. I never asked to do this. I never chose to do it. It's just it's there. Right. <laughs> so you just kind of taught me something right there, actually. I'm like, totally. oh, that, that explains a whole lot. Because my, like, I talked to my dad. He said I came out talking just as a, as a, as a, as an infant. And I'm like, That's so I didn't cute. choose to do this. Well, <laughs> I like to talk and being taught too. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> but now it makes sense. Yeah, that's the, I love that part about the community too. It's just like this, like you hear these things and people talking about their shared experiences and that's when you're like, oh my God, me too. Like what? It makes so much sense now. It's all coming together. Like the talkative stuff, but also just like interrupting people or like that comes with like impulsivity or, you know, I don't know, just like there's so many different things like I love it. I love I love the community for that specifically is like being able to like identify all these like weird synchronicities and like how other people function. And you're like, dude, I thought it was so weird for doing these things, but I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like you're not trying to be a nuisance or anything. Definitely. You're just trying to connect with people. That's all it really is. It really is seeking out that connection. That's totally what it is. Exactly. So, oh, yeah. Thank you for some... hosting our conversation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, That's what we strive for with our show. Of course, it's a privilege. Yeah, Nuis, did you have something you want to weigh in on? I was just watching a monitor. No, I think this uh, truly helps me listening to others and helps me understand uh, myself and how I need to cope with my own. Uh, uh, diverse 
problems that I have myself. It, it truly helps me understand myself better when I hear other people talk about it and hearing others relate. It, it helps me understand that, um, you know, it, it's not just me that's having these difficult uh, problems. You know, it, it helps me. I completely agree. I feel like, um, and I'll wrap this up before we do our outro. I feel that when it comes to being unique, like we grew up hearing a lot about you're so unique, you're special, you're all this. It's a double-edged sword compliment or comment. I don't even know if I would even go as far as saying a compliment because on one hand, saying someone is special and unique on the surface sounds great. On the other hand, it can also alienate the person. Like if they feel their entire life they grew up with this quirk or this method or this way of thinking or this whatever insert name here there's almost this feeling of like i'm so unique that there's no one like me on this planet and it's isolating it's isolating it makes you feel like an alien i felt that way among my own family members i'm and like oh, i belong here and i want to give a shout out to the tv show arthur for a moment um yeah. arthur is for a fun fact on side note it is the second we stand uh, arthur second or third longest running kids tv show in the world and i believe second or third longest animated show after i believe it's like simpsons south park and something else but that aside they did an episode specifically now this is for a different episode but for an autistic child that they actually had on the show they introduced Mm. a new character who is on the spectrum and they did an entire episode all about him and they described the character like you're crash land on a planet that looks like Earth, but you don't have the guidebook on how to navigate this planet. Things that you find funny may not be funny to other people, but things that they may find funny goes completely over the head. Again, this is just kind of speaking in a general terms, but they really took the time to research, to understand the community, to really represent them well in media and TV, and especially on a kid's TV show. And not only did they have this other character who showed up, not as just a one-time character, but this character reoccurs frequently. So that is, to me, one of the most empowering empowering things to see is that the awareness of people with neurodiversity is definitely become more normalized, which again goes back to that belief of, well, you are especially unique. This is true. But I think the other thing, like with one of our missions with this, te- with this show, with this podcast, is understanding that Whatever it is that you feel, if you feel that there's certain things that you're like, this is so quirky about me, but it also feels alienating, you are not alone. Somebody on this point, what is it? Population of like 7.5 billion people on the planet or a trillion people, I don't know the number offhand. There's at least somebody and there is a community out there for you. And I think that is the most normalizing thing to keep in mind is that yes, you are unique. You have your own intersectionalities, your own lived experiences that others may never ever have, but you are not alone. There is someone out there, there is communities out there that will understand you and will be able to understand not only your experiences better on a level that others who are not part of the community may not understand, but you will also feel that belongingness at the end of the day. Yeah. So it does definitely cultivate like a community and like a, a, a like a true sense of unity when you can mm-hmm. see yourself in others. So exactly. like hosting conversations like this is so so important to just like not only awareness obviously that's like 
you know, going to be an obvious top of the list, but the the true sense of unity Absolutely. in your fellow man. So like nuance would like to take uniformity. Absolutely uniformity. Nuance, feel free to take us out. All right, nuance here. Thank you everyone for participating today. We appreciate you and are honored to have you on our show. Thank you for sharing your perspectives and opinions today. Thank you for being vulnerable and open to new ideas. This is how we move forward as a society. We must be comfortable with being uncomfortable. We would like to take this opportunity to also thank our guests for participating on our episode today. Thank you so much, Fractal and Claire, for taking the time out to discuss with us, share your lived experiences, and open our eyes to more perspectives. And for the listeners, again, feeling that belongingness, feeling that there is a community out there that will understand you on a level that your own family and friends may not understand. So thank you from all of us here. And big thanks to our listeners um please like share and subscribe you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts also give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform as that really helps us out if you found something that the host mentioned that was unfactual please contact or comment on social media pages and you can find us on facebook twitter instagram or reach out to us directly through our email at thirdparadigmpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again, everyone. Thank you for listening to Third Paradigm. Artwork for this series is by Jamila Kokomu with TokiCat on Instagram. And audio editing is by Dave Kovacek of Moderate science recording in royal oak michigan if you would like to be a guest or have a topic suggestion for future episodes please visit our bit.ly link and email in the description box